This is the Impact Church Podcast. Here at Impact, we believe a powerful word at the right time can help you overcome any challenges you are facing. Wherever you are listening or whatever you're going through, we pray this message speaks exactly to your need. Enjoy. And um, we started last week and we started talking about this idea of more. God wants to do more in our lives. How many believe that though? God wants to do more in our lives than probably we realize. And I think sometimes we think that we want more for ourselves than God wants for us, but it's really the other way around. Like a good parent, God always wants more for us than we want for ourselves. Um, as I was preparing for today's message, I was thinking about, I got getting some feedback up here, so if y'all can adjust that for me, that'd be a blessing. Thank you. Um, just uh, preparing for today's message, my mind went back to something, two things actually, um, and then I'm going to show my age in the first one. In 1981, mm, I done lost half of the room and got an amen from the other half. <laughs> uh-huh. And, you know, I was really young. In 81, I was about two years old. But um, I said about, about. It's relative. <laughs> there was a big event that took place, and it seemed like every, the whole world stopped to watch this big event. And it was a wedding. And it was a, it was a wedding with, y'all know who I'm talking about, too. French Charles and who? Oh, yeah, I'm old, too. Oh, you, you use a little, too? A research, a Google. Amen, amen. And so, you know, we're not from the UK. That ain't that. I mean, do we know those people? No. Will we ever know those people? No. Are they relevant in our daily lives? No, not so much. Um, however, most of the world stopped to watch that. A good part of the world stopped to watch it. It was really interesting, though, when you back up a few years from backwards from where we are today, just to see that more than twice the amount of people watched Harry and Meghan's wedding than they watched his dad and his mom get married. I thought that was really interesting. I don't per personally have a great fascination about the royals, um, but, but I have been watching this series called The Crown. I told you I wasn't fascinated, but I didn't say I wasn't interested. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's really because, you know, I'm a blame Pastor Mona. It's really because of Pastor Mona, but. <laughs> right, right. But what's really interesting, when you go back to when they got married, it was like this big deal. I don't know if you remember online and the media and all this thing. When they finally realized that the two of them were dating behind the scenes, Meghan and Harry dating behind the scenes, and, and this biracial woman, was uh, actress particularly, was going to be marrying this prince, it was like a big deal. And, and people began to, you know, follow their story. And even the folks in the U.K. began to think, because there's this newer ideology around the, the crown, that the crown, the whole institution, the young folks don't see the reason for it. They feel like it needs to be gone. You could just destroy the whole thing and, and stop letting these folks live off the, off the people's money. This is the thinking over in the UK. And so what the crown has had to do, or the institution, their, the royal family has to do, is to prove their case in public court that their lives 
are worth being um, ambassadors for the people and being lived out in such a public way and that they're doing great things. So people thought that when Meghan and Harry got together, especially being a mixed race and a mixed couple, that, wow, this is going to do all these amazing things. It's going to help even the, the, the British and all the former British colonies to see race relations in a different way. People were really excited for Meghan. They thought, oh, my gosh, she's actually going to be a princess. How many of y'all remember what I'm talking about? And then they had this outstandingly amazing wedding. You know, it was just everything you could think of was top tier level and people from around the world, influencers and you know, rich folk and, and, and people that had any kind of clout were at the wedding. And it's just this amazing thing. But you don't know that while it looks so great in the public eye behind closed doors was a different story. And so when you watch not the crown, but when you watch this other thing that just came out last month, I'm going someplace, when you watch what just came out last month uh, where they did a special with Harry and Meghan, it was really interesting kind of to watch them record they, what they did that no one would have known that they was doing the whole time. I don't know how they could have known to do it or why they did it, but from the very beginning, they were using their phones to record their own story. I mean, like the beginning, like, so we're talking about the dating period. I mean, they got video footage of everything up until like 2022. And so a big thing came out where, you know, as she began to tell her story and they began to tell her story, and you guys may have heard that she was very depressed and had suicidal thoughts, and he was pretty upset because he felt like my mom is going to be taken out, my wife is going to be taken out the way my mom was. And so they became pretty, pretty scared and, um, but in the public, it looked like they was doing so well. Y'all, I just need y'all to work with me for a minute. But in private, behind closed doors, it wasn't the way it appeared. And, 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 and that made me think about how it is for us, because as I began to look at their story, and you could see the pain in their story. You could see the shame. You could see where they were being, or they felt they were outcasts. You could see all the transitions that they went through when they showed their behind the scenes footage, their real footage of their lives, you can see the pain that they went through as the media began to turn and its high began to turn on them. And it began to make me think how often when we look at people, we think we know what they're going through in the public, but you really don't know what's happening behind closed doors. And it's often behind closed doors where people are hurting the most. It's often behind closed doors where people are walking through all the fallout of the trauma that they have endured. It's often behind closed doors that we got to deal with the disappointments that life has thrown at us. And if the truth be told, I don't care how good you look online, behind closed doors. Because we could use our favorite filter on Instagram, but behind closed doors, we tell a different story. Come on, somebody. You know, your resume look really good on LinkedIn. I mean, you never look as good as you look on your resume. Take that with you. Your resume look really good, but behind closed doors, it may tell a different story. And, and I want to deal with that today because I believe that God wants to do something in your life, but it may not start in a public space. It may start behind closed doors. I want to show you a woman this morning who needed more from God and, and she needed God to meet a need that she was incapable of meeting and it might be where you are right now. It may look like right now on Facebook and Instagram that you got it going on and everything is the way you want it to go but I know a God that knows what's going on behind closed doors that wants to meet us behind closed doors to really meet the real needs in our lives. And the truth be told, we put out these wonderful images in a day and era of social media where we look 
so great and we look our best and you would think we're at the, on the top of the world, but behind that picture often is a, is a person, a man or woman who says, I really don't feel like I am enough. I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about behind closed doors. Will y'all pray with me just a little bit this morning? Amen. All right. I won't be long. All right. Well, since you insist. All right. <laughs> 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7, if you don't have uh, the app, you can open up your Bible, your physical Bible, what have you. It says it this way. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his credit is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Ooh, you thought you had problems. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at, at all, she said. Well, except a small job of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil in all the jars. And as each is filled, put it on, put it put it to the side, one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. Mm. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. The oil stopped flowing. Yeah, we can forget so many sermons in here, but anyway. <laughs> I'm going to try to stick to the one I got. <laughs> She went and told the man of God, and he said to her, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. So here we, we, we see about a woman who is, is a widow, and she's not just any widow. Uh, you won't find this in the Old Testament, but you'll find this in Jewish, extra-biblical Jewish writings, and the Jewish people, rabbis, taught who her husband was. The Jewish rabbis teach that her husband was Obadiah, the prophet. And Obadiah was a man who hid the prophets. If you remember that woman Jezebel, who is not looked upon you know, well in Scripture at all, who was an evil woman, the Bible says, how she persecuted the prophets of God. And how the vast majority of Israel's prophets you know, when they got under you know, a lot of tension, instead of standing up and resisting what was happening that Jezebel was doing, you know, they tried to be politically correct, so they went to her table and ate at her table. Y'all know about being politically correct. Uh-huh. And Elijah, not Elisha, who we're talking about today, but Elijah, his mentor, having dealt with Jezebel, felt so overwhelmed by her power and her influence, and, uh, he was saying, God, just take me. It's too much. I can't deal with this no more. I'm the only one left that's going to serve you the way you want. And if you remember, the scripture said, the Lord said to, to Elijah, he said, there's 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Well, Elijah was hid in this place where the sons of the prophets not only hid the few prophets or the small, the remnant prophets that did not bow their knee to Baal, but he also fed them. And now why is that important? Because this woman's husband would have 
went into debt, and likely the reason why he died broke was not because he was irresponsible with debt, not because he just went out, you know, went out and brought a new car for Christmas, praise God, <laughs> but because he had used everything he had and borrowed so he could take care of the Lord's prophets. Are you following me? Because to die as a man in debt and have nothing left for your family, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that you're worse than... You worse than what? Oh, y'all don't know that one, huh? He said a man ought to store up for his family that you're worse than a heathen or infidel if you don't leave something for your family. And so it would have been a shame for this man of God to just die, leave his family with nothing. Well, anyway, he dies, but he dies broke. And so she doesn't have anything. The only thing he left behind was what? Debt. And that's an unfortunate thing because she's a widow, but she's a widow not like a widow would be today. If you're a widow today, you can still get a job, right? If you're a widow today, you can still get an apartment in your name. You can get a home in your name. Well, as a widow and a woman in ancient Israel, you didn't have any of those rights. The only thing that you had, the hope that you could have, is that you would have adult sons that could take care of you. Is anybody following me this morning? And so what we find here is that this woman, not only has she lost a husband, and that would be devastating enough. She's lost a husband, but she's incurred debt that's not her own. And she has no means to support herself. She has no means to support her children that she's raising. Now, the covenant law, I'm going someplace. I just want to make sure you understand biblically what's happening. The Lord provided, the Lord provided for a couple of things for women that found themselves in that situation. The covenant law, that's Israel's covenant with God, provided for this. A kinsman redeemer that could come and redeem that person out of debt so that what they have would not be lost. The people that they have would not be sold into slavery. You remember that from Ruth and Naomi. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It also allowed for just a responsible relative to come and stand in a gap and to pay the debt. Doesn't need to be a kinsman redeemer, but just a responsible relative. Sort of like how we did back in the day. Not long ago, if a person, if a woman got pregnant at a young age and, and she had a baby at a young age, sometimes somebody else in the family would raise that child as their own. They would stand in a gap as a responsible person. So the covenant law allowed that. And not only did the law allow for a relative to do those things, it also allowed for the king to do them. However, somebody say, however. However, Israel, being far from where it needed to be, walking in God's covenant, no longer did those things. Which meant that in the place of them taking their responsibility within their community, within their family, a cruel law came to be which said this, that if you were in debt to me, I could take your children as slaves and sell them. So this woman got a couple things going on here. The first thing she has going on here is that she finds herself in a system that does not work for her but works against her. Oh, y'all know what it's like to be in a system that don't work for you. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. How many of the system works for those that it's designed for? Which means those that are in power, the system works for. Well, in her case, it was the same thing. The system was working for those that had the money. The system worked for those that were lenders. And so the system did not work for her, so now she's stuck within a system that has failed her. Not only is she stuck with a system that has failed her, she's also stuck with a debt that she is not able to meet. You know, as a widow woman, 
There's nothing she can do to change her station. I want you to capture that for a minute. Because most of us have at least a plan B. Some of us got a plan C and D. She doesn't have any plan because she's a widow woman with no rights. You know, she woke up one morning and she was married. She got up the next morning and she wasn't married. She woke up in her mind not having a debt that was hers. The next day she wakes up with a debt that she cannot pay. And what she realizes is in the system that she's in, hear what I'm saying to you this morning, in the system that she's in, she's not enough to meet the need. I need you to capture that for a minute. She doesn't have sufficiency to meet the need that she finds herself in the system. And I need to go back for something real quick because I, I want to make sure that you understand that all of us have been part of a system that doesn't always work for us. Come on, somebody. We've been, we've been part of a criminal justice system that doesn't always work for us, that may fail us. I was reading about how women, how much less women make for every dollar men make. Every woman in here is in a system that does not work for her. Y'all ain't going to say nothing. I'm trying to tell you that we've all known what it's like to be in a system that doesn't work. You can look where poor people and how the education on one side of town is given versus the education on the other side of town. We're in a system that doesn't always work for us. We're seizing a system that ain't working for her. It's working for somebody, just not her. And so, as she shows up in this system, in this new station of life that she finds herself in, she has to realize, I'm not enough. Not only do I not have enough money, I myself am not enough to do anything about the situation I find myself in. And you may feel the same way this morning. You may find yourself in a situation, in a station in life right now, when you look at your resources, you look at your, own, your confidence, you look at your record, and you look at what you can and can't do, and you may have concluded you're not enough too. So first, she's not enough, and then she does not have enough. She doesn't have sufficiency to pay the debt. So she finds Elisha, the prophet of God, and she runs to him, and she meets him. And she says, essentially, my husband is dead, and he revered the Lord. And she's let, she lets him know in no uncertain terms as well. Why I told you the beginning part about Elijah is because Elisha is, Elijah is Elisha's mentor. And had her husband not shown up back seasons ago and sown into all those prophets, his mentor wouldn't have been there. You follow what I'm saying? In other words, the reason why you're here today, Elisha, is because he anointed you. But he would have never anointed you if he didn't make it that far. And the reason why he made it that far is because my husband was helping taking care of him. That's where I'm just putting a little side thing in here. A seed may leave your hand, but it never leaves your life. It'll leave your hand, it'll never leave your life. It'll show up when you least expect it, but when you need it the most. And so she goes to him and she says, they're going to come and take my sons. And he says to her a very interesting question. After he asks her, how can I help you? He says, tell me what you have 
in your house? Tell me what you have in your house. That's a great question. First of all, that's a great question to ask while you're on the fast. Because see, a lot of times we're looking for something that's coming from out of the house. And before God brings you something out of the house, he wants you to take inventory on what's in your house. And so, you know, somebody come to borrow. It's almost like me saying to you, you know, well, Elder James, don't act like you don't hear me because I'm coming to borrow money from you. Uh, you know, I got a gas bill that's due. You got me? It's $100. That's easy. Now ask me if I can give you $100. What you got? What you going to bring to the party? You know, when people usually ask you, when you ask somebody because you have a need, one of the first things they want to know is, well, what are you going to put towards it? You follow me? So he asked her, what do you have in the house? You got 20, all right, I'll give you 80. You got 40, I'll give you 60. What do you have in the house? Because even though you have despised it and you think, I don't, really, I don't have nothing, but just a little oil. God said, there's something in that oil. You have something in your possession that will bless you. You just don't know it yet. What do you have in the house? She said, I don't have anything in the house. Well, just a little jar of olive oil I got from Kroger's the other day. It was on sale. Buy one, get one free. <laughs> and when she gave that information, she gave us more information about her situation. Because in those days, olive oil was used for two main purposes. It had others, but the two main purposes it was used for was for lamps. And it was used for preparation of food. And so for her to say that I only have a job of olive oil, she also told us she had no food. And so to say that she was in a desperate position, to say that she was in dire straits is an understatement. Having olive oil, but without having food, having olive oil, but without having lanterns, is almost like saying, I said, what you got? You say, I got a light bulb, but you don't have a light. Come on, somebody. It's like we said, what you got? You said, I got butter, but you ain't got any bread. You in dire straits. Y'all ain't talking to me this morning. It's like you got the Crisco, but no chicken. <laughs> they hit somebody. Mm, I knew y'all would get that one. And a part I like about it the most is not that it took her getting to this position, right, for her to see that in spite of what she didn't have, that she was about to be introduced to a God that was more than enough. And I want to introduce you this morning to this morning. Amen? Amen. And so the, the joy of it is that no matter what you're going to find out this morning is no matter where your shortage is. It doesn't matter if your shortage is in the area of not having sufficient for your need. Maybe the bills are due. Maybe things are tight financially. Maybe things you don't have health care insurance. Maybe some things with your child that's in college you're having a struggle meeting a need. Or maybe it's taking care of aging parents. It doesn't matter where the resources, but maybe it's also the season or the stage in life you are. And you keep looking in the mirror. And when you look in the mirror, when you get up in the morning, you keep thinking, I'm not enough for this place I am in life this morning what he wants you to know is that wherever you're not enough he is more than enough he 
wants you to see that you're not at a place of lack because wherever he shows up, he's going to give you more than you need. So he tells her, he says, uh, this is what I want you to do. Let me say, let me go back first and say, I just want to give you three quick things. These are just three simple things that you can do to see, because it's one thing for me to say it to you, but it's another thing for you to see it in your life, that God is more than enough. So I'm going to just give you three, three quick things that you can do over the next several days so that you can see the God who is more than enough in your life. The very first thing he tells her, he says, go ahead and borrow some empty vessels. Borrow some empty vessels. Now, why is he telling her that? You know, she's, you know that's, that's the worst thing you can do when somebody comes to you asking you, Rhonda, for some money. I come asking Rhonda for money. She said, oh, go see Eddie. <laughs> see if you can borrow some jars from him. I came to you. I ain't go to Eddie. <laughs> Elijah said, oh, you got a need? <laughs> go borrow from your neighbors. He said, go get some empty vessels. And, and, and the key part about it is that he wanted the vessel to be what? Empty. Because what I come to realize is that before we ex- receive from God's fullness, we got to bring to him our emptiness. And so in a very practical sense, what he's actually saying to her is, I need you to make space or make room for what God's going to do in your life. Because the truth be told, many of us come to God too full. We come to God with a full schedule, and we come to God with our, full of our ideas, and we come to God full with our to-do list. And sometimes God says, if you want me to move, you're going to have to make space for me in your life, get some empty vessels, make an opening that I can show up and show you my fullness in your emptiness because the scripture says that they that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled but if you're too full there's no hunger if you're too full there's no thirst but if you come empty you're thirsty you're hungry he wants us to be empty vessels and he wants us to make room make space for him in our lives make space for him in our lives He tells her to borrow, borrow empty vessels. Here's the problem. Mm. The minute I asked Elder James for money for my gas bill, what, what information did I just give him? That I don't have enough. Okay. That's, that would be one thing. And I'm okay with telling him, you know, you can't tell everybody. But the prophet said, oh, borrow empty vessels. Go to your neighbors. Borrow empty vessels. Don't just borrow a few either. That meant go to everybody you know and see if you can get an empty vessel. So what she now just, what just now happened is that her private shortage became a public thing. That everybody in the village would have known that she was in a tight spot. Everybody in the village would have known, oh, your husband left you broke? Mm. Your son's going to be sold and slaved? Here, baby. Here's a a halfway empty one. Yeah. I'm going to give it to her, you know, she the one that got the husband and left her broke. 
They're going to repossess Corn Dog and all of son. Leroy going to be repossessed. God bless you. My point, there are times in our life that when we have issues in our life that start behind closed doors but become a public thing. And so here's an issue that no one had to know about. But the prophet had a good idea. Go borrow from all your neighbors. Why would he tell her to borrow from all her neighbors? There's a couple things. One, the minute she brought her neighbors into it, it became God's opportunity not just to give her what she needed, but to give her a testimony that they would see that he is a God that supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory. He was setting things up that everybody around him would know it had to be God. When she came through that one, nobody but God could have brought her through that. And some of you, stop worrying about what other people know about you, what other people think about you. Just know that whatever God's doing in your life, he's going to give you a testimony that folks that thought you was down are going to see you get exalted. Folks that thought you would never come out are going to be there at the table he sets before you. When folks counted you out, God counted you in. Go borrow empty vessels. Because what she was doing and not knowing it was she was moving in faith. I found out from experience that often God doesn't solve our problems for us as much as he solves them with us. So what he needed her to do was to participate in her miracle. I could stop and preach here, but I won't. You can go through the whole from Genesis to Revelation, and you can find when God got ready to do something, name him or what you need. I need this leprosy to be gone. Okay, you go ahead and dip yourself in the Jordan. You're going to have to participate. Come on, somebody. Moses, God, I don't know what to do. Take that staff. You take the staff I gave you, and you strike the water. Participate. Come on, somebody. How many times did Jesus ask them to do something? Participate in your miracle. And often the reason why God asks you, what do you have, and tells you to do something, because when you move, you activate your faith. And when you activate faith, heaven responds. When you activate faith, heaven opens up doors. When you activate faith, demons flee. When you activate faith, bodies are healed. When you activate your faith, souls are saved. When you activate your faith, deliverance comes. So what he wanted her to do is stop moving in faith. Crack jars, believing that every jar you borrow, God's going to fill. That's what you call expectation. You just grab as many jars as you can. As many as you can. And while you're moving in faith, God's moving on your behalf. You can't see it now when you're going door to door. You can't see it now when folks are talking behind your back. You can't see it now that you got a big debt looming over your head. You can't see it now folks saying things about you, but keep collecting. Keep gathering. Keep moving in faith. Start pouring now. Shut the door and stop pouring. 
Take that oil and stop pouring into one. And then get the next one and pour it into the next one. And get the next one and pour it into the next one. Because while you're moving, God is moving. Yeah, he, he, he said not only you got to make space for God, you got to move in faith. Move in faith. Tell your neighbor, say move in faith. Moving faith. I, I believe God's got more for you, but this is not a passive year, it's an active year. I'm not going to sit in passivity. I'm not going to sit there and say, well, I'm going to give you out what I grew up on. I'm not going to sit there and say, do not pass me by while others are alcohol. I'm running to Jesus. I think we're going to see some incredible things. I really do. I really do. I believe the more we make space for God in our lives and the more we move in faith, the more we're going to see God blessed with more. And more than we even thought. I really believe that in my heart. This is not just a, oh, that's a nice, this is a word from God. I need to go backward, though, before he began to give it an overflow, and it just kept flowing and flowing and flowing. It's interesting that he tells her to go in and shut the door. That's very specific. Not just go in the house. You don't usually have to tell somebody to shut the door to their own house. But what he's telling her is, I need you to go in. Once you've borrowed, I need you to go in and shut the door on all the noise that's going on outside your house. All you're concerned about what you think they're thinking about you about, shut the door. All you're concerned about what's happening as you look at TikTok on social media, shut the door. All that's concerned about what the folks are saying in the break room, shut the door. All from all the distractions, shut the door. From what you think they think that you, that you think they're thinking about you, shut the door. Because how, how often has distractions kept us from the blessing of God? How often has distractions kept us out of God's presence? How often have distractions have, have kept us off of our face before God? What God is saying is get rid of the distractions, shut the door. I don't even care what they're saying right now. I don't care how it looks on the outside right now. I don't care what's happening on in the public right now. God, I'm going to meet you in private right now. I'm going to shut the door. Come on. Let you up here and preach. I like that. Slam it. Listen to what Jesus Jesus said. But you, look at him and say you. Now get real bold and say, yeah, you. Ooh, y'all, woo, I ain't messing with y'all. I felt it up here, yeah, you, right? (laughs) But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have what? Shut the door. 
pray to your father who is in secret in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly in other words stop worrying about what's happening in the openly part and get your mind on the secret part stop worrying about what's happening in the public space and get your heart and spirit in the private space because God's not going to meet you in public he's going to meet you in private when you pray And you know, we live in an age right now where everything is about your, 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 you know, your persona and your public brand and, and how you show up online. You know, hold off on all that. Don't even worry about that. You just deal with the private stuff right now because I'm going to meet you in private. Let what I give you in private, let the oil that I give you in private, let that flow into the public. My God. last thing is that we need to meet God. Oh, y'all got that already. Look at y'all. Y'all grown. All right. <laughs> meet him where? Because see, when you shut the door, I want you to understand, when you shut the door, what you do in private, God will reward in public. I need you to get that. What you do in private, God will reward in public public. And I believe he wants to increase the oil on your life. You know, the oil in scripture represents the power of the Holy Spirit. It represents God's anointing. That's why we anoint with olive oil. It represents the anointing of the Spirit. And the truth be told, the church has replaced the anointing of the Spirit with everything except the Spirit. We've replaced it with names. We've replaced it with title. We've replaced it with songs. But there's nothing that any of those things can do that the Spirit Come on, somebody. You can't, those things can't meet what the Spirit does. And we got a lot of folk in church today that replace the Spirit with crystals. Woo! Hit that right there. You missed that one. I need an amen. We replace it with horoscopes. Mm. We replace it with candles. Ouija boards. It's before your time. But you know what I, what I recognize that God wants to give us all. Because see, I don't know about y'all, but I understand the scripture says for, for he's given me the oil of gladness. For the spirit of Heaviness. And see, sometimes we're trying to find everything else except for the one thing that's going to move the thing we're dealing with. And, and I, you may have a child that's dealing with anxiety, depression. You need oil. You may be dealing with stress in your life. You need oil. You got an unsafe relative. You need oil. Come on, somebody. You got somebody that got an heart against you. You need oil. What we need from God right now more than money is oil. And what he says is, if you meet me behind closed doors, I'll give you an unlimited amount of oil. I tell you, I found out God does some of his best work behind closed doors. No, you're going to preach this thing. Somebody will be preaching. 
I'm reminded of a Shemanite woman whose son died and a prophet came to the house and shut the door and the son was raised back up again. Where did it happen? Behind closed doors. I'm reminded of Esther during a three-day fast and God gave her favor when she went before the king. Behind what? Closed doors. Y'all ain't gonna say nothing to me. This one. I'm reminded of Daniel that was shut into a lion's den and God met him behind Closed doors. I'm reminded of the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace, and they shut the door, but God met them in the middle of the fire behind closed doors. Come on. I'm reminded of Jairus' daughter who had died, and Jesus went to the house and shut the door, and he raised her back to life. Where? Behind closed doors. I'm reminded of Peter who was persecuted and thrown into prison and shackled in jail. But the church prayed and the church prayed in fear behind closed doors and the shackles were released and the prison doors opened. God's about to do some things impact behind. Hallelujah. Let me pray, y'all. Father, we just thank you this morning for every person standing here. God, thank you for those that are taking a step, Lord, and that are moving in faith, doing something, Lord, to position themselves to receive from you. Father, we pray that this uh, next several weeks will be a time of refreshing, a time of seeking your face, God, a time of receiving your oil, Lord. Whatever is lacking in our lives, whatever seems to be insufficient or wherever we feel that we're not enough, would you meet us there, Lord, in prayer? Meet us there in your word. Let your word speak back to us, God. Let us hear you through reading your word. Let us hear your voice through your Holy Spirit, O oh God. And God, help us to journal what you give us, Father, to move on the things you tell us to move on, O oh God. And, and we thank you that mountains will move in this season. We thank you that needs will be supplied, God. We thank you that direction will be given, O oh God. Burdens will be lifted, God. Bodies will be healed, Father God, and testimonies, Father, will be made. And we just thank you for it now. In the matchless and mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.